Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to Not Another Mummy podcast with me, Alison Perry. When Kate, Roger's son, Frank, was only a few days old, she took him to A&E because he wasn't feeding properly. But rather than being sent home after some feeding advice and some light reassurance, tests showed that Frank had meningitis and he was whisked into intensive care. Doctors explained that it had been caused by group B strep, a bacteria which can be passed from mother to child during birth. And it's usually harmless to the mum, but it can cause serious problems for the baby. By the time Frank was four months old, Kate suspected that he had cerebral palsy, which she knew might be a side effect of meningitis. MRI scans confirmed this and also diagnosed epilepsy, which causes Frank to have seizures. Kate talks to me about all of this and how she cares for Frank with treatment, appointments and medication. She's such a positive person and she chats about how Frank being such a happy, smiley little boy makes it so much easier to deal with. We recorded this at Kate's home just a few days before she was set to move. They've since moved into a beautiful bungalow in the countryside, which is perfect for Frank and all of his needs. During our chat, Frank sat on the sofa next to us, listening to us and smiling. I have a feeling that he likes being talked about. So here's my chat with Kate. Welcome, Kate, to the podcast. Thank you. And we've got Frank here too. He is here. He's our audience. Big <laughs> grin from Frank. Um, so you're a mum to Frank, who is, is he two? He's coming up too, yeah, coming three weeks away. Ah, oh, it's going to be his birthday soon. It Fantastic. Um, and to just to kick off by telling me what kind of mother you think you are, describe how, what, what kind of mum you are. Oh, that's a hard question. I don't know, really. I just try and sort of keep it fun obviously we're very busy with appointments and therapies and stuff but we try and sort of make it fun as best we can and um just trying to give frank all the experiences really that any kind of two-year-old would have and i don't know really that's a really hard question to it say is what quite sorry well, yeah. that's really mean of me just to kick off with <laughs> yeah. a hard question that is hard so okay is. um what did you think about motherhood before you had frank like what was your what was your vision of motherhood what did you think it would be like i thought I had thought a lot about what having a, a sort of newborn baby was like, but I hadn't really thought past kind of like six months having a toddler. I hadn't, I didn't really have any expectations of that. I think that's really common though, isn't yeah. it? I think that you, you focus so much on having a baby. Yes. Like we're having a baby. Yeah. <laughs> actually, you know, that baby 
part is such a small it really is yeah chunk before of you time. know it they're, they're you know much older and it's yeah. kind of a completely different experience yeah but yeah I don't know I didn't have any real expectations I was the first out of my sort of friendship group to have a baby really so um I didn't really know what what to expect I wasn't a particularly kind of maternal person it's not something I sort of always had longed to have a baby but mm. um obviously once we knew we were having Frank we were very excited and yeah I don't know really just I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, that's that's fair enough. Um, okay, so tell me, tell me a little bit about Frank. Um, is it right that you had a normal pregnancy and I birth, did, yeah. completely normal? Yeah, yeah, nothing, no complications at all. Pregnancy was was great. I was really lucky. I wasn't even sick, um, and then the delivery was fine. Frank passed all his newborn checks, and we came home the next day, and everything seemed fine at first. Yeah, uh, and then he was three days old. Um, it was Mother's Day. And he'd been great during the day. My family had been round. And then later that evening, he, he when I woke him for one of his feeds in the night, he just he wouldn't take any milk. Um, so we called the sort of midwife like emergency line, and they said, "Well, it's only one feed. Don't worry too much. Just set your alarm for an hour and try again." So we did that, and then he still wouldn't feed. So um, Chris and I decided to take him into A and E. Um, and originally they weren't they weren't worried. They just said uh, he didn't have a temperature, he didn't seem lethargic, he was still having wet nappies, and they just thought perhaps he wasn't a particularly hungry baby. And they were talking about us kind of working on a feeding plan. At um, that point, were you thinking, but he has been quite hungry, or like, I just was, didn't know. I, I was three days into having a baby. I had no idea really whether this was normal or not. I mean. He'd fed fine throughout the day and he just didn't seem that interested in feeding overnight. So I thought perhaps he wasn't just a hungry, you know, maybe mm. a particularly hungry baby. Um, I certainly didn't think at that stage that it was anything serious because he just seemed, he seemed fine and, and they didn't seem worried. So I was sort of reassured by the fact that the doctors were kind of gearing up to send us home. Yeah. And thinking, well, it can't be anything serious because they, they don't seem worried about him. Um, but as time went on, we, we were in A&E for about four hours, and as the time went on, he did become more lethargic. Um, and then suddenly Chris and I started to think, you know, perhaps something isn't right. So we, we pushed for a blood test, which they, they did. Um, and what made you do that? What made you think we needed a blood test? I think just being a sort of nervous first-time mum, I thought, I don't want to go home and, and then him to, to get worse or us to not have an answer you know mm. we've been in A&E four hours he still hadn't fed during that four hours so now it was sort of like eight hours since he'd, he'd fed and that's a long time that is a long baby. time for a newborn baby mm. yeah so I just just something about going home just didn't feel quite right so we we just sort of said you know to be sure can you can you do some more tests can you you know absolutely guarantee us that he is fine and as it turned out that the blood test did show that he did have an infection so they then transferred us to the children's ward and just said they'd do a bit further investigation there. So at that point, did they know what kind of infection he had? No. It just showed up that there were abnormalities? Yeah, so, um, well, if they did know, they, they certainly didn't tell us, but I don't think they did. No, they, they transferred us up to the ward um, and we had a lovely nurse, Grace, and she explained to us that they start off by treating... Uh, the most serious situation, which would be meningitis, and then they'll do a series of tests and just rule things out and then kind of withdraw treatment as they go, if, they, mm-hmm. if it's not needed. So the first thing they did was a lumbar puncture. Um, so they took him off, and, and Grace explained to us that if the fluid came back clear, that was a really good sign. If it came back cloudy, that was not so good. And the fluid came back clear, so we were all sort of thinking, OK, thank God this isn't meningitis. Um, and then... 
as we were waiting for the results of the cultures which would have shown which type of infection, Frank had a seizure, um, quite a, a serious tonic-clonic seizure. He sort of went bright red and his arms went really stiff. Mm. He was hooked up to a monitor and his heart rate just shot up to over, like, 200. Mm. And Chris and I were in the room on our own with him and, and we just sort of screamed and called for help and then within seconds the room was just filled with doctors and nurses. Oh, it been terrifying. Yeah, it really was. Um, it really was. We were just ushered out of the room and sent into the family room and we were just waiting and I just remember just screaming like what's happening what is this what's happening and then eventually we were allowed back in to see him and at this point there was about 15 doctors and nurses just all around his bed and they had uh, an ultrasound and they were doing an ultrasound of his brain and the doctor just looked over to Chris and I and, and just said this is meningitis um and just everything's kind of a blur from then on, really. I know the consultant took us out of the room and, and sat with us in the staff room and just explained that Frank was, was very seriously ill um, and that they were about to take him down to theatre because they'd have to sedate him and put him on a ventilator to try and stop the seizures. And then we would have to be transferred to an intensive care unit because they, they couldn't look after him at our local hospital. Um, so that's what we did. But we had a very long wait. I think we were in in the ward for about 12 hours probably until they found us a bed oh. at King's and then we were transferred there by ambulance. Um, yeah, it was just the most awful day, really traumatic and awful really to think about. And then when you were at King's, <clears throat> what, what what was how long were you there for? Were you there for a few days? We were there or? for five days. So um, they, they set us into a little room at the back, a little private room in the intensive care ward and... and he was there and they just explained to us that it was really too early to tell what the outcome would be and that we'd just have to wait and see how he responded to, to treatment. Um, and we kept kind of saying, like, how, how long is he going to be here? When can we go home? When can we go home? And looking back now, I realised that they didn't know for sure that, that we were going to go home and they just kept saying to us, you know, we're taking it hour by hour. Don't think about tomorrow or the next day. Just It's just hour by hour. And did that help, do you think, thinking about it hour by hour? Or do you think that No, almost... I, I, at that stage I wanted to just think, OK, in five days or ten days or three weeks I'll be home. Yeah, you know? I it'll needed be fine. I needed to just know that I would definitely get home with him, Yeah, which obviously they couldn't guarantee us. Um, I don't know how we got through that time, really. I think you're just in shock and... You know, you just not go, really with it. To go into any with your baby not yeah. feeding, yeah, which seems like quite a small thing. Yeah, absolutely. And you almost want to be, you know, end up being those neurotic parents. Absolutely, You yeah. are kind of like patted on the head yeah. and off you go, yeah. back home. That's and that's pretty much what I thought would happen. I thought they'd say, well, sometimes babies aren't hungry. <laughs> you know, that's, that's how it goes. And then send us home. And then within a matter of hours, suddenly we were we were in this situation and... It's the kind of thing you, you hear about happening to other people and you just don't expect it to happen to you, you know? Yeah. You, and you, you have seen, you know, you've, you've written in your blog about how the strength of your husband is really what got you yeah. through those days. He was really strong. He, he And we were kind of strong for each other, really. You know, one of us would have a bad day while the other one was, was being strong and then it would swap around, you know. But luckily the hospital put us up in a room just down the corridor from the intensive care ward so we were there with him the whole time so we would stay with him until really late at night and then be back with him early hours of the morning and that really helped and our parents Chris's dad and, and my mum and dad came up every single day to be with us so 
you know, strength in numbers really, yeah, and they they got us through those those five days. And then after a couple of days, it 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 was sounding a little bit more positive, and they began talking like we were going to get home. You know, and they explained that he would need a course of antibiotics at that stage. They weren't sure whether it'd be two or three weeks or more. Um, but once they started talking like we were going to get home, then obviously it became easier to deal with. So at that point, did it feel? Did it seem like? He's got meningitis, but he's on the mend, yeah. and there's every chance he'll make a full recovery. So they, they were very honest quite early on about the fact that he had been very seriously ill and that meningitis does does cause a lot of long-term effects. Um, they didn't go into a huge amount of detail about what those effects might be, but they did keep reiterating. I mean, when we were saying, so you know, so we're going to go home, so he's going to be okay... And they kept sort of saying he's he's okay for now, but we won't we won't know what that means for the future. Um, they talked about possibly doing an MRI while he was still at King's, but um, they told us that babies' brains change so much in that time that it wouldn't necessarily give us an accurate picture of what it would be like in a few months' time. So they decided against that. Um, so they they were very honest, and and looking back at those conversations, I can see that they were trying to warn us, but. At that moment in time, we, we really didn't care. As long as we got to take him home, we didn't care what the future held. And I honestly mean that, you know, whether whether he was going to be disabled or have brain damage or be deaf, all these things were mentioned. And I just thought, I, I don't care. If I get to take him home, I can deal with anything of, of those things, you know. Um, so they, they, they asked us whether we wanted more information, but really at that time we we weren't ready to hear it and we just said no you know we'll come back to you and they explained that we would be very closely monitored as frank got older and be seen by a consultant regularly to sort of check his development and check if there were any kind of emerging issues so we we just wanted to get home and and start making some happy memories and not really focus on what was ahead because we knew that we would deal with it as long as he was he was home and with us. You yeah. Know. And how did it feel when you got him home for that second time? Kind of scary because uh, he'd been in hospital with loads of people looking after him and watching out over him and hooked up to all these monitors. And, and then stuff. suddenly and we're on your own yeah, with him. Yeah, suddenly I felt this huge sort of pressure and responsibility about whether, whether he was okay. And I think because we'd taken him in for something so minor... And, and something so serious had happened, suddenly I was a little bit neurotic about everything, you know, uh, particularly feeding. Mm. Anytime he seemed to have a not-so-hungry day or he didn't want a bottle, I would get myself completely worked up into thinking, God, it's happening again, you know. Um, and I did actually end up taking him back to A&E once because he, he didn't seem to be interested in his bottle. Um, but, and they were very good and they did lots of tests and, they you know, they weren't dismissive, but he was fine. Obviously now I realise that he was struggling with his bottle because of the cerebral palsy, because mm. he struggles to sort of coordinate his suck and swallow. So he never fed well, really. So I was, I was neurotic about feeding completely. You know, it was it became a stressful thing and and yeah, quite a big issue for us, really. So at this point, were you aware that the meningitis had been caused by group strep, group B strep? We were when so when we. Once we had been in intensive care for a few days, um, the doctors explained to us that it was group B strep meningitis. Um, we had no idea what, what that was. And they explained that group B strep is an infection um, that many women carry and it's completely harmless to, to, to the mothers and often presents with no symptoms. So you have no idea that you have it. Um, but occasionally, if passed on to babies, it can be very harmful. 
Um, and, and in Frank's case, it, it led to meningitis. So and is it during the labour, the birth, it's during that the, delivery, the baby yeah, contracts it? The infection is passed on. And, and occasionally as well, baby can get it up to three months afterwards, late onset group B strep, um, which, yeah, I think they don't really understand as much. But um, in Frank's case, it was, yeah, it was during the delivery. He'd, he'd got the infection and over those three days that had led to meningitis. And am I right in thinking that in the UK we don't offer, we're not, we're not offered testing during pregnancy? That's right, yeah. We, the NHS don't routinely screen for it. Um, and the reason that they, they don't screen for it, they would say, is because it's transient, so it can come and go. So you could test positive at the start of your pregnancy and then be negative at the time that you actually come to, to give birth. Um, but obviously I've done quite a bit of research into it since Frank and I understand that the result is supposed to be accurate for around five weeks so the recommendation is to test at 35 weeks and then that should be accurate for when you for when you have the baby you can buy the test privately um, from from several places it's about 35 pounds and if you test positive you'll just be given antibiotics in labor and it's as simple as that so it's then, really worth doing yeah absolutely i mean if i'd known about it there's no way I'll, you know i wouldn't have ordered the test and and paid the 35 pounds and things would have been very different for us but yeah. i just didn't know anything about it no one had mentioned it none of the midwives wasn't mentioned at nct you know i just never heard about it so if anyone listening is pregnant the, the, the i'm assuming they can google yeah there's a charity group b strep support there's loads of information on there about it um and you can buy tests from a place called strapel uk um so yeah they're about 35 pounds and it's just they just send you a test that you do at home and then you post the swab back and they'll they'll let you know whether you you've tested positive and it really is as simple as just having antibiotics um i think about a, well, a course of antibiotics during your delivery. So yeah. they'll just put a sticker on your file and it'll be as simple as that. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. So then at what, um, how, how much later after getting Frank home did you get the diagnosis of cerebral palsy? Was it quite a while Yeah, later? it was, and it was something that came gradually, to be honest. Um, so I know sometimes, sometimes people are told quite early on if, if their child has had an MRI and they've seen that there's brain damage, they'll be told that there's a very good chance that they'll have cerebral palsy. That wasn't the case for us. Um, it was probably when Frank was about 10 or 12 weeks old, we were having physio already because um, it was part of all the sort of follow-ups from the meningitis to check whether there was any developmental issues. When he was about that age, um, the physio noticed that he, he wasn't doing some of the things that she would kind of expect him to be doing. He wasn't reaching out for toys. 
<laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. He, um, he had some kind of abnormal postures. He would sort of twist up to one side. And she, she didn't mention cerebral palsy at all, but she, she told me a few things that she was a little bit concerned about. Obviously, at that stage, she was really young, so she did say, you know, there's, there's a good chance he'll outgrow these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I came home and I Googled, like, you probably shouldn't do all of the things that she'd mentioned, and, and everything led pointed towards it being cerebral palsy so how how old was he at this point about three months old three months yeah um so i i had briefly remembered that cerebral palsy was one of the things mentioned as a possible after effect of of meningitis um and i just i didn't tell anyone and i looking back i I wish that i had spoken to to chris or my parents or my friends about it you didn't even chat to them about it no (laughs) just because I didn't, I didn't know for sure, and I didn't really want to worry anyone, so for a long time I kind of kept it to myself, and I just spent hours and hours on forums and doing my own research, and by the time he was four months old, really, I, I knew deep down that he did have cerebral palsy. Um, but doctors actually didn't, didn't agree for, for a very long time. I would mention it at appointments and to the physio and say, look, you know, he's showing all the signs, and, and there's a reason why he would have it, because he'd been poorly. But they just said, he's too young, we can't tell, we don't know, he might outgrow all of these things. Um, so really it wasn't until he was, he was one, probably, that they started to say, okay, yeah, he's showing a lot of signs and, and they're not looking like they're going away. So um, it was about one that they, they started talking about it and then we had an MRI when he was about 14 months old, which confirmed that he, he did have a type of brain injury consistent with cerebral palsy. How did that feel? Did that feel like? Did you feel a sense of relief that you had that that diagnosis? Yeah, I did feel relieved because finally, you know, I was right, and people couldn't couldn't sort of keep saying to me, "I think you're wrong. He'll outgrow it. He'll catch up." Yeah. (laughs) So I guess almost that might have felt a little bit like people were trying to kind of brush it under the carpet a bit. Yeah, I think they were trying to be supportive Mm. and, and reassure me, but. I knew, you know, but at the point where I was talking to people about it, I I knew that he had cerebral palsy. I just knew it, and it did. It felt sort of dismissive, really, you know, mm. because I knew he wasn't going to catch up and outgrow it. I I knew that, you know, these were sort of challenges he was going to have for his whole life. But yeah, by the, by the time doctors confirmed it, it it, it felt part, we felt partly relieved, but also it didn't didn't change anything really because you know we'd known for a long long time and didn't change anything about Frank so it was just okay we can finally see it written on his medical record and that's it really yeah so what what is life like with Frank so you've got a lot of appointments a lot of medication yeah so he uh, alongside cerebral palsy he also has epilepsy Um, his seizures are startle seizures so as he's falling asleep he'll sort of do little jumps Um, they're not under control yet we've we've had the diagnosis of epilepsy for about a year and we're still trying to get the balance of the right medication. Um, so they, they've improved. We're down to about, he has about between 5 and 10 a day. And he was having between 50 and 100 a day before oh, that. Um, so they've improved a lot, but they're still not quite under control. Um, so he's medicated for that. He also has um, severe reflux because he's got low tone in his trunk. So he, he can't sit up. And because of that, he has quite, quite bad reflux. So he's medicated for that. That also played a big part in all the sort of feeding issues we had initially. Mm. Um, and then more recently, we started him on, on some medication for his dystonia. So he has dystonic CP, so he's, he's stiff and he has kind of involuntary movements. He'll, he'll extend backwards. So we started him on some medication that should hopefully help with that. But 
as with everything, it's just about getting the right dose and building up. So we're not quite there yet, but we might get there. Um, his cerebral palsy is, is quite severe. He's affected in his whole body, all four limbs and, and his face. Um, so he's not sitting or rolling or crawling at nearly two. But he is making progress, you know, every sort of week and month. We're noticing that he's getting stronger and he's able to do more. And he's he's really bright little boy. He's really intelligent. He understands everything. And he, although he, he can't speak, he's very communicative in his own way. And he lets you know what he's thinking. And he's just, he's full of joy. He's brilliant. Mm. And he takes all the worry away because he's always smiling and always happy. And he's taught us a lot about life, bless him. That's so lovely. <laughs> Yeah, he, he seems to have quite a lot of fans on Instagram. He does, yes. He has got a big fan base, bless him. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you. It must it must really genuinely help that he is so smiley and positive it really does, and yeah. such a strong little boy. Yeah, it does. He takes everything in his stride. I mean, poor thing has an average of three appointments a week, usually one a day to be honest. But he, he's always just happy to go to them and he smiles and enjoys them, really loves the attention. So it definitely makes things easier mm. to, to deal with, yeah. And what has it meant for you in terms of, obviously, you know, you really are having to put a lot of, spend a lot of your time caring for Frank and yeah. taking him to appointments and are there therapies that you're doing with him Yeah, we every do some day? private therapies as well as, as the NHS staff and, yeah, every, every day we, we try and do, you know, a little bit of physio, a little bit of OT, a little bit of speech and language. So it's, it's busy and you just... Like any mum, really, you have constant guilt that you're not doing enough. You know, if we go out for the day and see friends, at the end of that day I'll be thinking, oh, but I haven't done his physio and I haven't practised his speech and language, you know. But it's probably done him really good I'm just sure to do normal has. things. Yeah, he has to do those things and, you know, he doesn't do enough of them. He has to has to have some days out and see his friends. But I just always feel guilty that I'm not doing enough. But, you, you know, you can only do as much as you can do, can't you? Yeah. I'm sure every mum feels like that in some way, so... Just, yeah, learning to sort of get the balance of enjoying himself as well as, as working him hard. <laughs> yeah. Do you think, of, looking back over the last nearly two years, do you think that it helped that his diagnosis kind of almost... Th- things changed very gradually? Yeah, Or do I really you think do. Was, was it, it wasn't harder that it was almost like drip-fed? No, I, I personally think it was easier to deal with. I've thought about it a lot. Had they, you know, had they done the MRI in hospital when he was just a few weeks old and told us that he had cerebral palsy at that stage, I think it, it, I think it would have hit us harder. But mm. I think because it was a gradual thing and I just, yeah, I think it was easier for us to get our head around, really. Um, and, you know, after... Each member of our family and our friends sort of took their own amount of time really to deal with it. You know, a lot a lot of people were in denial for a while, and that's fine. You know, you just got to accept it when you're when you're ready, really. Um, but those those sort of weeks and months where I suspected it, but I was keeping it to myself, were hard. And you know, I would go and see my NCT friends, and and every week the differences between their babies and and Frank seemed to be getting greater. You know, mm. and it was harder to kind of deny the fact that he obviously something wasn't wasn't quite right you know yeah. he wasn't just a little bit behind there was something a little bit more going on and those weeks were hard but um yeah I overall I think it was easier that it was a gradual thing um so you're about to move house aren't you are. so you're currently in a lovely Edwardian semi are, yes. um and is your move um, kind of driven by getting somewhere that is more suitable for Frank. Yeah, definitely. So we we know long term we, we needed a bungalow. We we've known that really, you know, since he got his diagnosis. Um, 
And although we are doing it a little bit earlier than we needed to, obviously he's still very little, so carrying him upstairs is not a problem yet. But we just kind of wanted to get it over and done with, out the way, and, and be somewhere that's more practical for him and easier for us as a family. Um, and it's also about the services, so unfortunately the services in our area are being cut back, and we're just we're trying to, to give him the best you know chances and opportunities, and early intervention is absolutely key. Mm. And we're just moving to an area that hopefully will be able to support us a little bit better. So did you, did you do that research? Did you look into all the, yeah. the different local um, authorities and what they were yeah. offering? That's yeah. really interesting that yeah. that was your priority. Yeah, I mean, we wanted to stay close. You know, we didn't want to move too far away. But we did research the, the areas nearby and the services that they offer and how regularly they're seeing children and what kind of therapies and equipment and things can be provided and, and the new area that we're moving to seems to seems to to be quite yeah well recommended by people so That's hopefully good. it'll work out for us it's a gamble because you you know we know what we're getting here and although sometimes it feels like it's not enough at least we know what the situation is it's you know it's, it's a bit scary and it is a bit of a risk but hopefully it'll pay off yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I bet Frank's excited. He has he seen yeah. the news? He has. He's yes. been once, yeah. <laughs> and he actually did seem excited, although I'm sure he doesn't really understand what's going on. But he seems excited. Yeah. It's just more space for him to, you know, have all his stuff around. And, and you were saying it's more open plan, so yeah. you know, that would be nice for him just to be able to see people around, yeah. dotting about. Exactly, yeah. Going into the kitchen. Yeah, it'll work, uh, work much better for us, I think, as a family. Yeah. Um... Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Kate, no, for chatting to me. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Frank. You've been... Uh, <laughs> Being a bit fidget bum, aren't you? You've been a great audience <laughs> member. <laughs> no, yeah, really appreciate you taking your time thank to you. chat with me today. Thank, thank you. Frank is honestly the sweetest little boy and you can see on Instagram how well they've settled into their new home. It looks like Frank is loving it there. If you're interested to learn more about Group B Strep and how to buy a testing kit, there's a link on the podcast show notes and also on my blog too. Thanks so much for listening today and remember you can rate, review and subscribe to the podcast and I'll catch up with you next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 